Thank you, choir, for that. That's awesome. Second time, wonderful. Thank you, Susan. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, I'm going to get here a stand to put my stuff on. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Scott Mosebrook. I am not a pastor by any means. Uh, in fact, I'm a high school assistant principal at Philo. Um, but I am one of the, the crew that kind of helps Pastor John out. Pastor John is getting ready for a very, very busy season as we enter the holiday season. So he is taking some time off. Um, you can be praying for John. He actually put on social media. He's been battling some kidney stones, but I think he's feeling good because he's at a flea market today, just enjoying some time with his dad, I believe is what Elizabeth told me. So um, John's going to take the week to just kind of get ready and start preparing for Christmas. Um, and we're glad to help him out. There's a, a group of us, uh, three of us actually, that kind of Every so often, Dave or I or Kathy will get an email saying, who's up next? And um, I think it was my turn to come up and take a swing at it. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a secret. Whenever John asks me, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, he asked me two months ago, and I was my, my first prayer right after that phone conversation was, all right, God, what do you want me to talk about? What, what do you have um, that I can share? Um, this high school assistant principal who deals with kids all day long, uh, who is also dabbling in coaching, and that's where my inspiration for my sermon is coming from today, is the kids I get to coach. Um, I am, uh, last spring I was asked to kind of come alongside and be an assistant coach for Philo's track team, uh, specifically coaching their distance runners. Um, and then that kind of blossomed into an opportunity this fall to take over for the cross-country program at Philo. So I have had the awesome experience for the last three and a half, four months of coaching 19 high school and junior high students in probably one of the hardest sports to convince kids to do, which is run two to 3.1 miles. Um, it's not really fun. Um, and... I have spent about four to five days a week at least since the last weekend of, last week of July with these kids since that time. And I have given the last nine Saturdays, early mornings, right girls, early mornings, two of my runners are here, 6 a.m. on the bus to travel all over the state of Ohio to compete. And it has been wonderful. Competing in sports to me um, is just such an awesome analogy to our journey as Christians. Running was such a big part of my life when I was in high school, and I could see these similar paths that God had laid out for me. And probably the verse that instantly comes to mind for me is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And we're going to pop it up on the screen here. And it says this. It says, do, not you, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
In first century Corinth, only one runner would receive a prize. It was a, a laurel wreath. Um, I think we've probably all seen the image, something over their head. Maybe it was something they wore around their neck. It was something that would signify they were victorious. I can imagine they won their race and they're walking around Corinth and people are like, oh, hey, free drink for you. Hey, come in here. Tar-. You know, it was a symbol, but it didn't last. Paul is using this image to call us to a life of dedication to Christ and his mission. Just as an athlete strives to win, we, so too we should lay aside any hindrance and give ourselves to the cause of Christ. First century Corinth, Corinthians would have been treated to the Isthmenia Games every two years. They were the second largest competition in the Mediterranean world, only overshadowed by what? The Olympics. Every two years, spectators and athletes would come to Corinth, and they would be housed in tents. Hence, Paul, a tent maker by trade, would have a pretty good customer base that for the games. During the games, the town of Corinth would be full of sports enthusiasts, and athletic competition would be the foundation of their culture. So Paul, more than likely, was a sports fan. So today, we are going to think about this question. I guess as a teacher in me, this would be my topic for today. What race are you running to win? Sorry. What race are you running to win? Are you running the race described in 1 Corinthians 9 and pursuing Christian unity, sharing Jesus with others, and the joy you have found in Christ the same way athletes pursue their prize? Or are you running the race of acquiring stuff, bigger office at work, your children's successes, or something else? So let's talk about this race that we're running. Let's talk about the characteristics of a race. As a believer, Jesus Christ as a believer of Jesus Christ, you run a race. You may not know it, but you all ran today. Congratulations. You ran to church. It, too, is the race of a lifetime. It, too, is going to dominate your mind. It, too, occupies your waking moments. It has become a central focus of your existence. It is what you live for. The author of Hebrews spoke about this race in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. A huge cloud of witnesses is all around us. So let us throw off any, everything that stands in our way. Let us throw off any sin that holds on to us so tightly. And let us keep on running the race marked out for us. Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started his, this journey of faith. And he is the one who completes the journey of faith. He paid no attention to the shame of the cross. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He made it through these attacks by sinners. So think about him. Then you won't get tired. You won't lose hope. You see, you may not know this, but you were all chosen for this race. I told you, my great challenge at Philo High School and every high school, every coach I talk to is this. Getting kids to run the race. Between Philo High School and Philo Junior High, there are probably pretty close to 1,000 students. I had 19 run. 19. Guess what? They all look different. Every runner, every time I go to a cross-country race, there are all different shapes and sizes of runners. There's not a prototypical, oh, this is how you have to look to run. 
everybody looks different. They, they, they're just built different, and they can compete different. But convincing someone to run 3.1 miles is not an easy task. You see, parents and family, they come to cheer the kids on. They line the finish line and the start. But here's a, a little known fact if you've never been to a cross-country race. You run a whole lot more in isolation, completely alone. No one's watching you. Because you're often running through woods, around cornfields. There aren't people there watching. So why run? Because you've been chosen. I tell the kids, take pride. You are doing something that is so hard that nobody else wants to do. Take that. Well, in our spiritual run, we have been chosen. Imagine you hear a knock on your door. You go to that door and somebody from the Olympic Committee, this probably was my dream when I was 15. It was a pipe dream. It was nowhere close to ever being Olympic. And they say, Scott, we want you to run the marathon. Man. We want you to run the marathon. Represent your country. Well, guess what? That same knock has happened to all of us. Some of us have answered. Maybe some of us haven't. But we have all been chosen by God. He's knocked on our door of our heart. If you've trusted him, then you know what I'm talking about. John 15, 15 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. The enemy would like nothing more than for you not to run or just to walk off the course. Uh, the picture that is up on the screen is uh, MVLs at Crooksville, uh, not a week ago, last week. In our spiritual race, we're on that line. Maybe there are some of you here and you're checking this Jesus guy out. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus. You are literally standing at the line with all these other runners. The official comes up, tells you to take a big step back and then blows his whistle, you step up to the line and you wait for the gun to go off. And the gun goes off and everybody goes and you just stand there. It'd be the same thing for um, Wesley on Friday night hiking the ball and he just stands there, doesn't do anything and everybody's moving, right man? Good win by the way. Maysville beat Philo, so give, gonna give him a little prop. It's been a very rough weekend for the Mosbrook household in sports. I'm a Penn State fan, so John's got that one. He texted me, but um, I, my Phillies are doing awesome, so I'll take that too. So, But back to it. If the race starts and you don't go, that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to stand there and wait. I've had runners on the line, nerves, the pressure of the race, and they can't go. So I encourage them, hey, you got this. And luckily, every one of them get back on that line the next week and they go. The enemy would like nothing more than you to be on that race, running your race, your Christian faith, and for you to just throw up your hands and walk off the course. That happens. 
that's what he would like. I believe that the main reason why we don't cross over that starting line is fear. Fear from saying yes to Jesus' call on your life. I hope today that maybe what I share is going to maybe convince you through my story, through what God has been doing in my life. I also think that we allow other things to take priority. I, I know busy. I know you're busy. There are a lot of other things that can happen instead of a Christian journey. So the race is both a contest and a conflict. Now, my two cross-country runners, I think I only have two in here that are going to hear this. I hope they smile at this. But the word race in Greek means agon, which means agony. If you've ever run, like for a long distance, I think you will shake your head and say, yeah. You know, we have a bunch of sayings. You know, in fact, one of them's on T-shirts. I should have wore it today, but I didn't. It says, fine, I'll run, but I'll complain the whole, whole entire time. That was the kid's choice. I said, what do you want to put on a shirt? That's what they chose. You know, we have other kids that say, I run so I can eat whatever I want. There is nothing enjoyable. I, I mean, other than the finish, the actual race itself, I, I, I will classify people who love to run and love that pain. They're just not all there. That would be, and I speak this with all love, that is my father. My dad was that way. But there is a pain in running a race, in training to run that race. You know, you go to a finish line of a race, it's like a battlefield. Like, it's, like, I've got one of my moms here who's running up with cold towels, putting it on kids. There's kids heaving and on the ground. I mean, like, why would anybody want to do that? The race we're talking about this morning is a contest in daily progress toward Christ-likeness. In many respects, we race not against our opponents, but we're racing against ourselves. Are we more like Jesus today than we were yesterday? 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul encourages the church to follow Christ by saying, be imitators of me. Paul's saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's saying, I, I'm trying to be the example here, but be like Christ. And that race, it's a conflict. It's an internal struggle. Anybody who has ever run knows what goes in your mind in a race. It is not your legs. It is not being tired. It is a mind battle. And it's the same way in our Christian journey. It is a struggle, an internal struggle of our soul. The natural bent is towards sinfulness and laziness. That's how we were wired. Trust me, every high school kid would rather sleep in on a Saturday morning than wake up at 6.30 in the morning to drive down to Belpre, Ohio and run. Or to wake up or to go after school and run when it's 96 degrees. It is much more in our nature to stay in bed and to not have to do that. Mark 7.23 says it Right on. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So the question is, are we engaging in the necessary disciplines and activities that will enable you to grow and mature in Christlikeness? And we're going to talk about some of those disciplines in a little while. Next, the race is unique to you. In cross country, you get to the course 
and it's all nice and marked. They normally mow the course real short, so that makes it fast. You don't want to run through tall grass. And then they typically will paint white lines on either side of the course, and you stay in the white lines. And they normally, if there's a weird intersection or something, they normally have an adult there that kind of stands there and blocks your path. Now, like a, the painted lines on a cross-country course that indicate the path of a race, God has marked out a race for each and every one of us that is unique and distinctive for you. The destination is the same, all the same, but how we get there is going to be different. You can't compare your track to somebody else's track. Now, I will say one of my favorite verses of all time, and I'm going to share that, and I don't have it up on the screen, kind of fits this. I have verses that are like my running verses, I guess you could say, and I'm sharing a bunch of them. This one is very popular. Many of you probably have memorized this. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And I've always thought about this before I run and, and in my spiritual journey because it gives me a great peace to know that God knows the plans he has for me. He knows the course I'm about to go on. And it's a plan to prosper me, not to harm me. It's a plan to give me a hope and a future. Now, Wesley, this is no knock on you, but guess what? This race has no timeouts. Cross-country runners, we don't get a break. Long-distance runners, if you ever run a long-distance race, there's no timeouts, there's no breaks. That clock keeps on running. Walking and stopping isn't going to stop that clock. We are instructed to run and keep on running. Now, your pace is going to slow going to slow down when you hit obstacles on the way, but you're always pushing forward to the finish line. Now, there are times during your Christian journey where you're going to want to throw up the, your, your hands. You're going to want to stop. I believe if you have good disciplines in your Christian journey, those moments are very short. If you ever go to a cross-country race, it is the coolest thing in the world because when kids stop to walk, there are normally eight other kids right around them saying, no, uh-uh, come on, keep going, keep running. And they're not even from the same school. They're just pushing each other to be better. Now, my favorite part about cross country is the obstacles. I know that sounds weird, but this race, our spiritual race and a cross country race is full of obstacles. It's got barriers, hurdles, hazards, all kinds of stuff. My favorite memory of a cross-country experience I had was when I was a senior in high school. We went to this country school out in the middle of nowhere in Littlestown, Pennsylvania. It's a rural farming community, and they were known for chicken farming. They did a lot of chicken eggs in that area. So we get to the course. What I remember about it, it was flat, and it was fast. So we were excited to be there because we were going to drop some good times. We get out of our school van, man, it stunk. And it was like a pungent ammonia smell. So we get what, what you do when you run cross country before you, you, know, you set up your little camp area, you go walk the course. And as we started to go walk the course, this guy you know, comes running over, and he was the coach of the host school, Littlestown. He's like, hey, hey, hey I'm, re I'm really sorry, guys. Um, I need to apologize. I know you're going to walk the course, but the farmer next to us spread manure on the course, 
because we ran around a, a field of his and he had spread fresh chicken manure the night before. So as we're walking that course, it was sloppy. It obviously smelled really bad and it was slick. So we had to change out our spikes and put the longest ones we could half inch in there. And we got prepared to run him. I remember it really well. There were three seniors. I was one of them. We all kind of like huddled up with our team and we were like, don't get behind somebody. <laughs> so luckily, the top three runners from my team, we had white jerseys, by the way, which horrible choice. Mine was clean. My legs, on the other hand, were not. And the guys that finished behind us were covered. You see, Whenever we in cross country begin preparing to run obstacles, luckily we did not run through any chicken manure this year. I don't know that that's ever happened that I've heard about. One of the things that we do is we prepare for our obstacles. A great example of this is we get together and we run hills. And trust me, when kids come and say, Coach, what are we doing? We're doing hills. There's no woohoo. It's like, how many? Well, we're going to run them. You see, we run those hills and we prepare for them because we know that they're coming. It's why we walk the course. It's why when we walk the course and there's a route, I'm like, hey, everybody, route. Okay, coach. Well, don't trip on the route. You got to know the obstacles. One of my running verses is Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings there is suffering in running cross country there's suffering in running any race knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given who has been given to us those hills they do not last the entirety of the race Trust me, if I ever went to a cross-country course that was a hill from start to finish, we would never run it again. Typically, the hills are rolling. They're, they're not going to last forever. And we have, we have this reassurance to know that our struggle is going to give us endurance, and eventually we'll get hope. You run to win the race. Going back to 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that a race... In a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. One of the hard things to teach kids is, like, the top kid in the state of Ohio right now runs three miles in about 14 minutes and 30-some seconds. It's the top runner. My top runner runs at about 17.45. That means for every mile the top runner runs, He's a minute faster than my top runner. So the reality is, is you're not necessarily going to win the race. But winning is not just coming across first place in cross country. Winning, it's not about running against other people. It's about what you're doing inside. Are you improving? Are you getting better? I've had kids cross the line like in 40 runners are running, and they come in 35th, but they PR'd by a minute, and they're, like, dancing because they, they reached a goal. 
It's the same thing with the spiritual. The prize is becoming a spiritual champion. A spiritual champion is somebody who's sold out for Jesus, straining to be more like him every day. And the finish line of faith is a life that is more Christian than yesterday. Wide variety of runners on my team. Some are running to win races while others are just running to, their goal is to finish a race. My goal as a coach is to finish on, focus on each one of those runners and helping them get better. Sometimes that may deal with their times, but it's also about setting goals. At the beginning of the season, we all gather up and I have one goal that I share with the entire team that what I would love to see is for everybody to finish without walking, to run the entire race. Sometimes we make it, and sometimes that goal just gets pushed to the next season. What I've learned in cross country, there are never any losers. You are cheering as much for the last place per person as you are the first place person. It is a unique, unique sport. Winning the race will require great endurance, for those uh, who set out to win the race, winning the spiritual race will require great endurance, perseverance, patience, and resolve. Victory necessitates that we run with undying persistence and steadfast endurance until we arrive at the finish line victorious. The greater the endurance, the faster an athlete runs. In order to run the race of life, we must endure. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So let's talk about this race, the principles of this race. My runners have worked hard all season long to reach their goals. My top runners have logged anywhere between 20 to 30 miles a week since the summer, which I, have, I keep track roughly which means that my top runners have run about 500 miles this season. Give you a different perspective, that means that they have run about 100 hours continuously. And they're doing that for a race that will last 17 to 26 minutes long. The single most important principle for running the race toward becoming a spiritual champion is this. Okay? Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training wisely. That principle applies like, hey, how do I get faster? Well, you gotta, you gotta will it. You just gotta think you can be faster. That, that, that's foolishness. If I have an athlete that tells me that, well, you gotta train. You gotta be smart. You gotta eat right. You gotta sleep. You gotta drink enough water. Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy, his protege, this. He said, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. It's in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He then, this thought is behind Paul's advice to the church at Corinth when he says everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We read that earlier. They get a crown that will last forever. When it comes to running races or being, becoming a spiritual champion, the need is not to try harder, but to train wisely. How many times have you heard Pastor John give a sermon or listened to a Bible study or read a book about being a better Christian? And then you go home and you think, man, I'm going to try harder to be a better Christian. 
That's like me saying up here today, I'm going to try harder to compete in a marathon. I cannot run 26 miles. Not right now. It won't happen. No matter how much I will it, it's not going to happen. I would only be able to run that marathon by training and the disciplines necessary to run that marathon. I'm going to have to sleep better. I'm going to have to make sure I go to bed and wake up and get a good sleep pattern going. I'm going to have to eat better. No more unhealthy food. I'm going to have to log a lot of mileage, a lot of early morning getting up, putting miles in, maybe even some evening runs. I'm going to have to stretch, get my muscles going, and I'm going to have to drink lots of water. Those are just a few of the disciplines it takes to be a marathon runner. It's the same principle for us as Christians. We have to go into strict training. We can't just say, oh, I want to be a better Christian. We have to do those things. And these are all things that Pastor John has talked about to us multiple times. And we have lots of opportunities here at church to become more disciplined in these things. You see, we commit to things like prayer, Bible study, which I also consider studying and memorizing God's word, worship, whether that's listening to it in our vehicle or, or coming to church on Sunday. We have to serve. We have to serve others. And we have to evangelize. We have to talk to people about Jesus. And lastly, I promise you, Pastor John is doing the stewardship thing. Okay, I'm not, but we have to give. We have to give our tithes, our gifts to the Lord. Those are all disciplines that we need to be doing actively as we train to become a better Christian. The secret to winning the race to truly live a Christ-like life is to order our lives around those activities, those disciplines and practices. If you've ever been around someone who runs a marathon, I have good experience. I remember being little and my dad running marathons. My dad was a past, my dad's a pastor, but he was a marathon distance runner. And his whole life, he was able to find this balance. I remember dad would be gone for hours and he'd come back and he'd be drenched and he'd be, have a big smile on his face, which I always thought was so weird. Like, dad, what'd you do? Oh, I ran 14 miles. What? I mean, I remember six, seven years old, just my mind blown. I remember going to marathons, watching dad start the race, and then mom would take us to go play somewhere for an hour or two, and we would come back and watch him finish. Those disciplines required to surround your life, just like Christ-likeness, becoming more like Christ every day. Those disciplines, they will be a big part of your life because you are in strict training. So the need for the race I am not a sprinter's coach. I don't know how to coach sprinters, jumpers, hurdlers, throwers. <laughs> but yeah, don't even, I can't, I don't know what they do. I, I just know if you do it wrong, you can hurt yourself. You see, in a sprint, you, you run a short distance as fast as you can. Speed is the most important thing. So you train specifically for speed, fast twitch muscles. In a long distance race, which I think I know a little bit about, you train differently, slow twitch muscles. In a long distance contents, endurance is the key. You wanna make it to the other end. 
I've learned there are two critical times in every race. Every race. And this goes with our spiritual journey as, as well as in an actual cross-country race. The first one, first critical time is in the beginning. That picture shows the beginning of a race. Kids are all lined up. Uh, I see a couple that I know from our church up there too. They are, on the, they are on the line. Some of them are ready with their watches waiting for the gun to go off. That's the first critical point, the start. Because what happens is you are pumped up. You got, I think in this race, probably 70, 80 high school boys for the MVL on the line. Uh, we just ran yesterday at districts. There were 170 boys on the line for districts. So 170 boys lined up, ready to run 3.1 miles, going from uh, a start line as wide as this to trying to fit through that doorway about 400 meters out. So the start is important because if you go too fast, you die. If you go too fast, you come to a really quick realization that you used way too much energy. So I tell the kids, hey, listen, you got to keep gas in the tank. You can't, you can't floor it. You got to find that pace. You got to be able to get out, not be boxed in. Get somewhere comfortable so that you can run your race. I feel like for Christians, that's the case too in our spiritual journey. Not saying that, that going out fast isn't a bad thing, but if you don't have the supports of your church family to help you through that, that beginning of that race, you can get lost. You can burn out. The second most critical time in a long distance race is the halfway mark. If you could go to a cross country race and see the faces kids make halfway through the race, you will see kids that look confident, they're ready to go, they're pushing, and then you see kids that are in just total fear. I just ran a mile and a half and I got a mile and a half to go. How am I gonna finish? I got nothing left. So for a coach, my most important spot is to be in those spots so I can be like, hey, dig deep. You got to dig deep. This is what we train for. You, you got this. You've done this in practice. I know you can do this. In our spiritual race, we need persistence. Time and time again, Scripture tells us to persist and endure. There are so many Scriptures on endurance. I think I've already mentioned several. Here are a couple more. Colossians 1.11, Paul prays for Colossians by saying, Be strengthened with all power according to glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul reminds Timothy, If we endure, we will reign with him. And then in Hebrews 10.30, the author says, You need to persevere so that when you have, when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Maybe life has thrown you some curveballs. Maybe in your race you've been knocked off your feet a few times. You are thinking, I'm already on the ground. Why get up? Boy, that is, that sums up after a cross-country race, by the way. <laughs> it's like you're walking over kids that are on the ground and coaches are going and trying to get kids up. Getting up is important. So I, I shared a little bit about why. I talked about this, but this, this has been probably the hardest sermon I've ever had to come up with. Um, I am not one that is a closed book. I tell kids that at school all the time. If you have a question or concern, come to me. We'll talk. 
So I got a prognosis uh, about four weeks ago when I was writing the sermon that kind of blew me back a little bit. Uh, went for my normal wellness check and um, my PSAs are through the roof. I'm 48 years old. Up until two weeks ago, I've never even had an IV. I've never gone to the, I've never had any major medical issue, no surgery, no anything. And my doctor says that word, now it's a prognosis, we don't know yet, but cancer. So for those of you who've gone through that, you know exactly what goes on inside, that fear, that unknown, that I just want to know what is going on. And then I come back like, how, what, 48? Now, I have a family history, and the reason why I get tested is because my grandfather passed away of prostate cancer when I was six years old. He had very aggressive. Now, that was 42 years ago. Technology, what they do now, way, way different. But it doesn't, saying all that, you know, I, I know it's treatable. It's not spread. I, I know those things. You know, I know that I have a biopsy coming up but it still is a massive barrier. It is a massive hill in my journey. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have Jesus. You know, I, I've come back to how can I go to work knowing that this, because I got Jesus. I've always credited myself on being able to take these struggles in my life and when I'm in this moment I can put that struggle over here and I can focus on what I need to do this has been a little bit more challenging you know it, it's kind of changed the way I think of things the way I look at things the way I maybe need to take care of myself but I have hope going back to the scripture that I read you know I know that the struggle has produced endurance, and I have hope. I, I have hope. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I don't have closing steps, so worship team, if you guys need to make your way up, I don't want to, like, drop this on you last minute, like, oh, hey, we're going to sing. Um, I have always, I, I, not, not about me, but I have always taken... I, I, whenever I have heard somebody's testimony or their story about how they've overcome a struggle, I'm that sucker that watches every little ad that ESPN does about this athlete got hurt and they came back and had a, like, I'm that guy that's over there, like, with tears in my eyes, you know. I, I love that, to see how somebody takes a struggle and they, they don't quit, they work through it. I've always been amazed that, the Christian story of how people's faith gets deeper and richer when they go through that struggle. And I believe that, you know, I've walked with Jesus since I was five. I've been training for 43 years for this. And I plan to have a lot more years after. Friends, I cannot encourage you enough. I was blessed. I went to Christian school. I've memorized 
scripture. I, I can't tell you how many scriptures I've forgotten and then God has brought to my mind the last three weeks and I'm just like, oh, that's in Philippians somewhere. Oh, there it is. Those disciplines to walk this journey are no different than the disciplines I teach kids when they run to train. So it comes down to one question to end with. Will you engage in that training so that you will have endurance to run the race? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you for the opportunity to be here to share my story. I pray for anyone here who's on the starting line. Don't wait. Go. There are lots of people in here that would love to share with you how to get started on this race. It's tough. <laughs> Trust me, sleeping in on a Sunday morning, way, way easier. But it is our nature. It is what God has called us. He's called us into a relationship with him. Because this race, doing it alone without, without what I know about Jesus would be so, so hard. It's still hard, but it's a whole lot easier because I have a whole bunch of people here who love me, who are praying for me. I appreciate it. I want everybody to have that. That is not because I'm some awesome guy. I'm not. I'm sinful. I'm broken. The reason why people love me is because Christ has called them to love me. And they love me because I love them. Friends, the altar's open. If you need prayer, come up and get prayer. Don't wait. Don't stand at that start line. Maybe you've been running this race and you're ready to walk off the course. Don't walk off the course. I tell my runners all the time, when you get near the finish line, you've got to get your eyes on that finish line. And in our case, when you get near the finish line, you've got to get your eyes on Jesus because that will get you up over that obstacle. That will get you up over that hill. It is way too important not to wait, to make that commitment. We love you. Jesus loves you. That's why we have community. That's why we're here together. That's why I love this church, why I love the people of this church. So, Lord, as we close in worship, we're going to go and spend our, our Sunday watching football. We're going to spend our Sunday with our families. I pray that we will keep our focus on you, that we will commit to go into strict training so that we can be more like you every single day. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship. Um, before we do this, uh, this next song is something I think I know I connect with a lot.